Hello, everyone, and welcome to GradCast, the official podcast and radio show of your Society of Graduate Students here at Western. Today, we're going to be talking with Andrew Judge, and uh, he's got quite a list of accomplishments and and personas, a CV, if you will. Uh, he's a fine artist, activist, rapper, track star, philosopher, teacher, professor, and PhD student here in Indigenous Studies at Western. So hello, Andrew. Mm, hi. Oh, and I should introduce myself. This is Susan here, and with me is Tristan. Hey, guys. And first off, uh, we want to ask you if you have anything you want to say first. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So uh, I'm just going to introduce myself in my language, which is Anishinaabe or uh, Ojibwe, and uh, also just give thanks for the original ancestors of this land. So, Bajo, Mokumasi Indijnikas, Mashiki and Dodam, Ashkanzi and Dunjiba, Nishnabi and Nini and Dao, Ojbi again Nini and Dao, Nui Shaganashi. So, I'll speak English again. And I want to give thanks to the Chernotan peoples. They are the original peoples where Western's land sits. And uh, they're sometimes referred to as Adawandaran or Adirondack, and they lived and thrived here for many, many generations prior to the time of colonization. So I think it's really important just to honor them and give thanks for all that they did prior prior to Western being built. Thank you. Yes, thanks. So uh, how about we start off by talking about the kind of work that you do today? Obviously, you haven't been, uh, you're not, I, you're not currently a track star, at least so no. But uh, doing all those things at the same time, I feel like is a bit too much. I'm played for one person, so um, what are the current things that you have on the go right now? Right. So I retired from track uh, when I was 25, so I'm 32 now. So several years ago, <laughs> uh, it seems it doesn't seem that long, but uh, since that time, I did my master's in education with a focus on indigenous education. Um, the year I finished my master's, I worked at Fanshawe College. I was really, really fortunate to immediately be hired, and it was the same year that I started my PhD. Uh, the week before I started, or two weeks before I started, I got called into the office, and they asked me to develop a program in Indigenous Studies there. And I originally said no, because I didn't feel like I was qualified to do something uh, of that nature. Um, I had just studied both uh, international efforts to start Indigenous Studies programs at uh, institutions around the world, as well as Canadian attempts. So I had learned, you know, what was really working and what wasn't. And I told the school that I would do it as long as they allowed me to meet with, you know, 30 other people in the community who I felt had uh, an important stake in developing a program like that. Um, that was, I guess, geez, like uh, five, five years ago that that started, six years ago that that started. Six and a half, that program continues, I think, to uh, attract students each year. And I, I left after three years, um, partially due to exhaustion. <laughs> uh, I was, you know, I had written my comps in that time. Um, yep. Wow. We both know what that's like. Yeah, yeah. I was teaching three courses per semester. And, you know, I was the SOGS Indigenous Commissioner. Um, I, I was helping 
guide, uh, not guide, but work with uh, 15 other Indigenous grad students on campus through uh, supporting Aboriginal graduate enhancement. And we built a garden here, like it's a, kind of a collective effort. What else? There, you know, we had some grants that we were um, doing. There was one at Nameron Friendship Center for a Visiting Elders program that was um, a bi-weekly program that invited community members. Anybody could come. There was no like restrictions. And I ended up leaving, and I moved into the bush for about four or five months, away from everything. Cleared my head. Ended up taking a year off of my PhD, which uh, was really important for me at that time. Then I got hired in BC as a full-time faculty member at a college, and it was an extraordinarily challenging job in that it had so many facets. It was an administrative role, working with the community, students, faculty, staff, um, the uh, high schools, and um, you know the indigenous, the indigenous people who are the Tunaka people. I ended up leaving that after one year, and now I, I teach it for the First Nations Technical Institute. It's a um, social service workers program. It's specifically tailored for indigenous students. There's three satellite campuses across Ontario. I really enjoy it because they allow you to um, bring in your bundle and for me that's really important like I, we drum in the morning we sit in circle we share you know we talk about the things that are most important in that moment uh, for our healing and, and and you know there's more technical technical aspects of like social service work that we cover mm -hmm. so I enjoy that and right now I'm writing my dissertation I finished my um, my my research um, as my ethics was passed in back in August and my study is looking at how tenured uh, indigenous university instructors at tier one institutions in Canada are impacted by relocating for academic appointments so what I found was that many indigenous university instructors that I'd encountered, which are very few in number, but of course being in this field, uh, we meet each other, have often relocated away from their home communities. Uh, if if they, well, that, that gets complicated, that, that just that piece in order to work at an institution. So I wanted to know like, how is that impacting people and how is that impacting their their communities or com indigenous communities in general, which are ultimately, you know, in a state of recovery of from colonization. And the findings so far are pretty interesting. And I can't wait to finish. <laughs> well, that's, that's something I've heard also a lot about for students as well. And if... Like, you have to make the choice whether or not you leave your family and your community to attend university or you don't. And it's it's a gamble because going to school costs money. It's a big sacrifice, as we all know. We're all students out there. And for a lot of us, we, we have the choice of going to a university near us where we have that community still. But that's not an option for students. So... Did you ever talk to any students as well as faculty? Or? Well, it's kind of funny. On my way in today, I ran into a, a woman. I, I won't say her name, but 
I've I've seen her grow as a student. You know, I've been here a long time, <laughs> so uh, it was it was just neat to run into her. You know, of all the people, there's only a few people on campus right now, and I actually had never knew where she was from, and so I asked her. She's just about done. She has a couple of courses that she's going to finish over the summer, and I said, "Well, where are you going after? What are you going to do? Masters?" And I always encourage everyone to do things like that because I think it helps us hone our skills and she said oh I'm from Newfoundland uh, or Newfoundland <laughs> I, I've Is heard that? it's Newfoundland okay <laughs> thanks <laughs> and um, she was you know it was almost like I felt like a sadness and she said in the three years or three and a half years she'd only been home one time and it, you know it kind of broke my heart a little bit and I know that it's not just Indigenous students, right? Those are just sort of <laughs> my crew, I guess. But, you know, a lot of people have to relocate to come to university. And, you know, there's a huge number of international students. And, you know, I don't know if we ever, or, or I should say we, I, I don't know if I had ever taken the time to really think about how that impacts people and how that impacts their learning, how it impacts, you know, the institution in general. And for me, this is my hometown. <laughs> I grew up in London, you know. <laughs> so it was like, you know, I drove 20 minutes to school. <laughs> no big deal. But, you know, people are coming from all over. And, and I, I specifically want to better understand how Indigenous indigenous professors are impacted because I think that trickles down into the student body and there's a underrepresentation of indigenous students and faculty at um, well for me I looked at the top 15 universities in Canada some are doing well some are doing okay and some it's it's sad you know it's appalling how could you not have any indigenous faculty on your staff that doesn't make any sense to me <laughs> so what is do you find is the kind of biggest difference between fa um, institutes that are doing well and those that are doing abysmally i think it's 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 not necessarily the population of indigenous people because ontario has a higher population of indigenous people uh, statistically than other provinces. I mean, BC is the number one. Um, then, you know, S S Saskatchewan, uh, Manitoba, these provinces, I think they're major cities. They have uh, higher populations, um, higher percentage, percentage of population of Indigenous people. And I think that's because beyond their few big cities it's very rural mm. you know the populations of the provinces are less not counting bc and um i think that because of that the institutions which are in those big cities because all of them are in big cities have had to adjust sooner than let's say ontario or um basically west of ontario is doing pretty good okay i mean if you look at uh east of manitoba then you're starting to question like how could this be right like how could this be that you know 
this isn't happening, right? Like, where is the Indigenous Studies programs? Where is the Indigenous faculty? Yeah. So that's why I was going to be my question is what is the adjustments you say that that is makes it more welcoming or at least accessible i, I don't know if it's more welcoming ever <laughs> uh that uh, definitely in the interviews that i do, i've done i don't know if welcoming would be a way to describe that but there's i think more activists Right? There's more indigenous people who have come forward and said, hey, I, I need to make a difference and I'm going to make a difference and I'm going to do it through this route. And so, you know, Ontario has some catching up to do. The institutions in Ontario have some catching up to do. And I mean, great strides have been made. Every university is different. What's been happening in some places is inspiring because I think ultimately the faculty and staff at those institutions have stepped forward and said we need to do something and it's not just going to happen and so we need to carve this into our job description and and move with it and if we don't who's going to do it <laughs> so um on top of that you have allies coming forward people who are saying hey i want to contribute to this what can i do and so we have to thank you know the indigenous faculty and staff and indigenous people community members elders you know and the ancestors guiding us but also we have to thank our allies right and those people stepping forward and saying i'm not gonna stand for what has taken place in this country any longer i'm gonna stand up and say i i, I will make a difference so thank you <laughs> to those people so you have uh this is obviously a little bit of a first person perspective a little bit you, like you are a indigenous professor <laughs> who right. has moved yeah. to teach that's right and and that's sort of how that study came to be uh one my advisor in in bc stan chung had just recently finished his phd and he basically said i heard you because i want you to finish and he was great you know he he helped me through a process that I wasn't necessarily too keen on continuing. I, I, I continued, I had taken a year off, remember, and I came back as part-time. I was basically working full-time, and on weekends, I wrote my proposal. It took me eight to ten months, I guess, to do that. It was uh, on a, a completely new, had no, like, I mean, there were concepts in my comprehensive exams that I could apply to this new study, but I was so thankful to have a new supervisor, uh, um, Dr. Schween, and she's just, you know, she's awesome. She's an awesome woman. She's, I trust her, and, you know, I think I have to commend her for taking on a student who is not in her field of study. She's, in, she's a clinical psychologist, right? And, uh, you know, I have a lot of respect for that field. It's, it's, but it's literally on the other side of the spectrum of in, in indigenous research. <laughs> so, um, with with that guidance and the help of some other committee members who came forward, I was able to complete. And and I think I think do a study that is extremely relevant right now. There are three major 
policy changes within colleges and institutes um, in Canada, universities in Canada, all ni- like 98 universities in Canada, and um, then and the Truth and Reconciliation Commission report. So these are h- huge efforts related to n- I wouldn't say just Indigenous education. That's one piece, but in terms of you know helping the general population in Canada to recognize that what's really gone on here in this country and it's not a nice story you know I won't go into it now necessarily but ultimately in those three documents there was a recognition of a need to hire indigenous indigenous staff but also indigenous faculty members and I I think it's 70 percent of future jobs in Canada will require a post-secondary education. So there's a fire, you know, (laughs) under our feet, I guess that's what I'll say, right now uh, for Indigenous people in Canada. uh, I hope that more Indigenous people become inspired by the efforts that are happening by, you know, other Indigenous people and allies. And we also have to make space and room for uh, welcoming for, you know, people who might grow up in a context that is completely foreign to me. You know, I've spent time learning on reserve. I didn't grow up on a reserve. Um, You know, I have some incredible teachers who lived there and, you know, I can go and spend time with and learn to hunt, go out on the land, you know, trap, fish, you know, shoot. Uh, and, you know, that's that's a piece that I never understood growing up. I have a better understanding now, but not a complete understanding. But that's a context that I think is, is extremely foreign, not only to staff here who are, who are you know, m- trying to make a welcoming environment, but people here. You know, they don't know necessarily that context. Not all, some do. Generally, they don't. And and so there's a lot of efforts that have to be made and a lot of people have to come forward in order to make the space conducive, uh, a conducive learning environment for students. And that's ultimately why I'm doing this work. So in, in some ways also having faculty here that helps with the welcoming i guess for yeah. a student if you see faculty who has their hist- similar histories it's you have that something to work from exactly and i mean there's there's a great spectrum when it comes to indigenous people in terms of their learning their cultural orientation their commitment to community right uh, there's no generalization that can necessarily be made. Um, and so what I'm really looking at is, you know, trying to make that distinction. Who is, first of all, who is First Nations or who comes from an Indigenous ancestry here uh, in our faculty? Who's self-identifying that piece? Because that's another really critical piece who's self-identifying some don't and that's okay there's reasons they have their reasons and i have to we all have to respect you know wherever people are coming from in their context but ultimately 
I personally want to work with the people who are stepping forward and who are saying, this is my history, this is my story, I want to make a difference. And so let's do it. <laughs> so how did you go about, um, you know, get, gaining your information? You said you got ethics approval last August. So mm-hmm. was it mostly email? Did you fly out to meet people face-to-face? Yeah. How did you go about it? So there's about 40 Indigenous faculty who have tenure that I contacted. One of the criteria in my selection was, uh, we say like the best goodness of fit. It's <laughs> you have that in science. Too. Yeah, well, yeah. It's, it is more of a scientific yeah. <laughs> term, but basically there are some institutions that have more than 10 tenured Indigenous faculty. And based on time, I realized I can't I can't possibly interview all those people. Ultimately, there were seven Indigenous faculty across Canada who came forward. I was able to interview five of them. Um, The other two, you know, just time constraints. And (laughs) these people are extremely busy, you know. I mean, I think I like to say that about myself, but in meeting some of these faculty members and the extraordinary work some of them are doing, it's like, wow, you know, extraordinary work all of them are doing you know and 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 then having to also face colonization every single day right they're ultimately every indigenous faculty i feel has two jobs and one job is standing up for indigenous people and combating racism stereotypes and, you know, I, I mean, I, I guess I'll leave it at that. I don't want to go too far down that road. Uh, and then the other job is being a faculty member, a tenured faculty member, uh, you know, at a tier one university in Canada. This is a huge accomplishment. And, uh, you know, I definitely look up to all these people and the, and the work they're doing. But it, it, they're challenged, for sure. It's major challenges. And so... How are things right now? Like, if you were to take a pulse of what's going on uh, at these universities today, like, what's the status of Indigenous studies or in, uh, Indigeneity on campus yeah. um, for the culture and everything? We'll start with here at Western. Yeah. I think Western is doing some great things, you know, with the efforts of this new strategic plan that has come out. And I've learned... I haven't read the whole thing, but I read parts of it, and I see that are, there are some great things happening. I will say one thing about that, and it might be a bit controversial, but I'm going to say it anyways, is that the I feel the university has to make a financial commitment, and it has to be a permanent financial commitment. And i got to say, this is how much each year we are going to contribute. Why is that important to me? Well, you know, my study is education. So I know these facts about what will happen if, indeed, you know, our very young population in Canada, where it's something like 60, 50%, I think it's 60% of Indigenous people in Canada are under the age of 25. Yeah, I've heard right? that too. And that's young, right? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, the... Um, amount of those people in university or have taken university is low. The amount of people with a university degree in Canada who are Indigenous is very low. 
this has to change. If this changes, and I'm going to make it economical, just because sometimes that's the only language that is understood in in you know uh, this kind of environment. Indigenous people stand to contribute you know up to 400 billion to Canada's gross domestic product in the next 20 years. This is a huge number, right? Uh, this is a this is a huge. We cannot fail, you know. And if we do fail, I think we're in big trouble. Additionally, part of my research includes ethnobotanical knowledge. Um, you know, indigenous people in can in, in the world have approximately ninety percent of Earth's ethno ethnobotanical knowledge. Um, and so there's not just an economical reason in terms of financial contributions to Canada's GDP, but there's a need. I mean, we were facing a, a global environmental catastrophe currently. You know, this is happening. It's not gonna happen. It not might not. Ha I might or not might have whatever. Right? It's not. It's gonna. Ha it's happening. Right? And the impacts are. Um, only beginning to be felt uh, here in Canada. We need to understand better how to treat our environment properly. Western used to sit on a oak savanna. This entire region of southwestern Ontario was a place of peace. And uh, you don't often hear that. And that has come not only from the elders who have taught me, but in, in my own research. Even learning about this name of the people here, the Chanaan people, which you know, I might not even be pronouncing that word right because I almost never hear it. It's this is you know deep in the layers. I mean, you can look it up probably on Wikipedia now, but um, you don't often hear it, right? How would you know that? But we we have to change, and it's. I mean, I understand this big massive change is not going to take place. It's not just going to be overnight that people are going to say, "I'm going to change my behavior." Um, but we have to change, and I believe truly in my heart that Indigenous people can lead that change if people start trusting the knowledge that they carry and this extraordinary knowledge that, that, that we have. Excellent. Thank you and so much. And so as an activist and as someone who's obviously out there quite a bit, is there a place uh, online or somewhere where if someone was interested in following what you're doing, they could keep up with you? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I, no, there is it right now. I'm working on that. Um, you know, I'm working on a do documentary with a filmmaker and we're trying to build a website around some of the work that I'm doing. So that's, that's coming. I don't, I don't necessarily like social media. I don't have a social media presence right now. Uh, it's just not something that I'm interested in putting myself out there. So I'm going to do it in a different route. It's it's going to happen, but yeah, there's a few things that are going to come first. <laughs> All well, right. Well, we'll look out for that, and we'll definitely link to it. Cool. And also, if anyone else is interested in what's going on at Western, um, I've been to the website, the Indigenous Services website, yep. and it actually has quite a lot of information if you want to know more Absolutely. or connect with people that way. Yeah. So, well, that's the it's end of our time. <laughs> I, I keep talking to you about this forever, and we probably will over tea later. Uh, cool. But yeah, <laughs> thank you so much, Andrew, for joining us. Thank you and, for uh, having me. Yeah, and thanks, everyone, for listening. Tristan, thanks yep. for 
coming too. <laughs> it's been a joy. Yeah. And uh, if you want to listen to more uh, Gradcast, you can always find us 6 p.m. Tuesdays on CHRW or online, uh, wherever podcasts are sold. Yeah. Or for free. Cheers. Bye. Take care. And uh, for your information out there, the music we have in the intro and outro is from our very own guest, Andrew Judge. A disease, people still talk, but the voices are a blur. I can't infer, don't concur, even my.